Welcome leaders, I'm your host, Cree Edholm. We're three months away from the third annual Classic Spark Women's Retreat, and I couldn't be more excited. In September, women will travel from all over the country to join us at Zion National Park in Southern Utah for a weekend of challenge, learning, and support. The calendar will be full of opportunities to partake in outdoor activities, attend leadership workshops, and connect with other supportive women. There are a number of accommodation options available to you, including glamping. So if this is something you've always wanted to try, you'll have the opportunity to do so. All meals are also included. Simply get yourself to Spark and we take care of all the details. For more information about classic Spark Women's Retreat, visit sparkwomensretreat.com. So Spark Women's Retreat was created with a spirit of togetherness and support, which is something that is also important to today's guest. Kimberly Treba is the CEO of Girl Scouts of Southern Nevada, and in this episode, we cover an incredible amount of ground when it comes to Kimberly's background and everything she's doing to support the success of girls in the Las Vegas community. And with that, we welcome you to the Leadership Looks Like podcast. Join us as we explore personal stories of leaders who are making an incredible impact in their businesses, lives, and communities. Get ready to be inspired, see things from a new perspective, and learn new tools to help overcome challenges. This is what leadership looks like. Kimberly, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Cree. And I love it. So I have been running into members of your team now for quite some time at different events. Oh, that's good to hear. Yeah. And I think the word got around every time I, you know, saw someone, I would ask them to have somebody from your organization come down. So I'm so pleased to have you here. Thanks for coming. Oh, well, thank you for having me. I'm very happy to be here. Yeah. So I just learned you have, you're the CEO of the Girl Scouts of Southern Nevada. That's correct. How long have you lived in Las Vegas? I've been here for almost 19 years. Okay. So I guess I can call it home. Yeah. And tell me, uh, I mean, uh, there was a life before the Girl Scouts. There was. For you, unless you were a Girl Scout growing up. I was a Girl Scout growing up. I yeah. can start there. Right. Yeah, yeah. Let, <laughs> tell me about you and and uh, you know how you made your way into working with the Girl Scouts. So I was born in Illinois, and that's where I um, first participated in Girl Scouts. My mother was a, a longtime volunteer, and she was my troop leader and my sister's troop leader. I was a brownie, um, and I remember vividly um, that time of my life because it was bringing girls together that we didn't know each other, and so um, we were making new friends. And one of my best friends today I met in second grade in my brownie troop. She's still in Illinois, and I'm here, but we keep in touch. And when I was a, a young girl, we kept visiting each other, even though I moved to Kansas. So in third grade, I moved to Kansas. I also became a Girl Scout. Uh, I was in a troop in, in Wichita, Kansas, where my mom was also a leader. And um, I, I just, you know, not until I took this job did all these memories come back, which is just a f- fascinating for me. I mean, I had my daughter in Girl Scouts um, as well when she was young. But I just remember, I'm so close to it now, I remember all of the great characteristics, all the great opportunities I had as a young child, and I can trace back to those experiences, um, having influenced my leadership and my career. Um, one being, obviously, the Girl Scout Cookie um, Entrepreneurship Program. I 
loved doing it. I only picked the biggest houses in Wichita to go to because I made the biggest <laughs> sales. But more importantly, um, I got house tours. Every time I went to one of those homes, I'd ask them if they'd give okay. me a house That's tour. That's pretty cool. <laughs> so they toured me through their home. And every year I came back, if they had a renovation or an add-on or something that they've done, they would take me through and show it to me. And that really... Um, influenced my decision besides my father being an architect on what I decided to study. And my background is architecture and design. I got my degree in that. I had almost a 30-year career in hospitality design. Um, and I really, you know, thinking back on that experience of selling those cookies and and really being bold and courageous, that really um, was the start of of so many things, setting goals and achieving them and then going on to bigger and better, wonderful opportunities. I did my internship with Walt Disney um, Imagineering. Well, it was Disney Development Company at the time, and I worked on a 3,500-room hotel. I was working in the construction field with all men, and I had an amazing seven-month internship, and they offered me a job before I left, and I said I needed to go back and graduate. Um and then uh, they did offer me a full-time job. I worked there for 10 years. I worked on hotels. I worked on um, attractions. I worked on retail. I worked on restaurants. And I really managed projects from concept all the way through construction and turnover to operators. And it was an amazing – the 10 years was like a 40-year career. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's, those, those are some big projects those, to those, take on. Those were big projects and – um, I mean, I, I could tell a little story about, you know, I, I remember when I was an intern and Disney was starting to develop the park in Paris or right outside of Paris. Mm-hmm. And I really wanted to go and work there. Mm-hmm. And I made it known and I went back my fifth year of architecture school. I enrolled in French and I took French my last year in both semesters. And when I went back to Disney, I kept getting looked over and not sent. And I finally went to management and I said, look, I, I really want to go and work overseas. I want to work on this new theme park and hotels. And I was actually told that I could not be sent over there because work wouldn't get done. And that was my first eye-opening experience of, of feeling like, uh, is this a, is that a discriminating comment? I mean, yeah. like, why would I be left behind and everybody else have the opportunity to go? Um, and w- did that mean that everybody else were male? Yes. Like your male colleagues? Yes. Okay. Yeah. And, and frankly, you know, I was always surrounded by men and at work, at school, and I, it didn't really dawn on me that that would be something that would be said. And right. so when that was, um, mentioned to me, I was very angry. But um, looking back, what ap- what actually happened was a blessing because everybody did go over and I had to stay back and there was still tons of work to do. So it opened up so many doors for me that I wasn't pig- pigeonholed in anything I did. I-, I had to actually cover everything. And I learned so much in such a short amount of time that it really put me far ahead Mm-hmm. of so many people at my age in my profession because I had experienced so much in such a short time. So I took a negative and I turned it around into a positive. I, 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 and that's what I've done with every, you know, I've only had a few roadblocks that I 
considered a roadblock. And then I just figure out a positive way to get around it and just work harder and show that, you know, I know what I'm doing and mm-hmm. I'm valuable. Yeah. Do you remember kind of how you process that situation? Well, interestingly enough, I was an, I was an introvert or I'm, I guess, naturally an introvert. Um, and so that my, that was my first year of a full-time job out of college. And so I was introverted and I processed it internally. Um, I was, I was quiet. I just worked harder. Um, I, I really let the negative energy push me forward, um, towards achieving even greater goals. Um, and I went and visited. Like I didn't let it, I didn't let it <laughs> hold me back. I just made a point to go over and say hello, you know, say hello to everybody because I had worked with them when I was an intern. Mm-hmm. And, um, I think there was like 25 people, 20, 25 people that went over and, and I visited and then I got tours and I got shown the projects and then I'd come back and, um, and this is, I was in Florida at the time and I'd come back and then work on my projects. And I was very, I was very proud of the, of the work I did with a smaller team. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I had some peers that had larger teams and they did less because there were so many more people on their team. Smaller teams are often better. Yes, it's a lot more work, but you have more opportunity. And, yeah. and had I not had that, I don't, I don't think I'd be where I am today. So I look back on that and I, and I, I'm glad I kept a positive mindset on it and I see the value now. And so when I'm mentoring other people, I'm always, even my own children, I'm like, you know, I know that it sounds old to say, you hear me say, you'll know later, you'll know later, you'll understand why later. Um, because I've, I've experienced it. Like I didn't understand then, but I just knew that I needed to keep a positive mindset. And my, you know, I'd call my father and he'd, you know, shore me up and give me support. And, and that way it kept me going. And so I look back now and there's just so many blessings and so many wonderful, Mm -hmm. um, nuggets that I took away from those experiences, those challenges. Yeah. Challenges like that happen often, I think Mm -hmm. over the span of your lifetime, right? Oh yes. But it is so difficult at the time while you're in it to be able to see that something that you really wanted to do and being rejected in that kind of way that really is catches you off guard. You know, you don't expect it. You may not be able to process it right then and there. Right. And I was in my early twenties. So right. Yeah. I, I, when I'm mentoring young professionals, I think to myself, and even as a, as you know, a seasons, a seasoned professional, I appreciate the fact that there are things at different points in your life, you can be effective I mean, you can be effective at different things at different points in your life. And when you're in your 20s, you you can I, – I was happy to be naive at that moment because I didn't let it slow me down. Yeah, you that know? is when being naive is a gift, isn't it's a it? It's a gift. It's like, oh, uh, that's weird. It doesn't hold me back. Right. You know, I kept on going. Um, I didn't think it was right, but it didn't hold me back. And mm-hmm. so just by being – somewhat naive because I hadn't gone through it and I didn't have a, a jaded perspective or hadn't had things ex- happen to me that um, were negative, you know, prior to then. I just kept on going, you know, it was, I was bold and courageous and that's how I looked at it. And, and I just kept forging 
forward. Yeah, and you had the opportunity to work on other projects. So you worked in Florida for Disney. I did. I did. Where did you work in California also? Or so later in my tenure, I when I was working on projects in the parks, they call them in berm and out of berm projects. So the first half of my tenure, I was working out of berm, which was the hotels and um, offsite properties. And then the second half of my tenure, um, I was working in Berm. So was working on all the food and beverage projects, new and, and re- renovation, and then also theme park rides. Mm-hmm. So I did ride conversions. Um, it was the time that Disney was acquiring multiple um, businesses like ABC and uh, Miramax and Touchtone. And so some of the initiatives I worked on were um, bringing some of that presence in the parks with whether it's a ride or I, at that time there was the backstage tour and we had George of the Jungle and we had Aveda with Madonna's um, with scenes from the movie mm-hmm. and we had Flubber. I went to San Francisco and walked the set and um, tagged different props and scenery to bring down to Florida. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, so I had I had the opportunity to work on all sorts of projects, um, big hotels and um, small retail to large new concepts for food and beverage. Yeah. So I have a bit of a random question mm-hmm. for you about working for Disney. Um, I've been thinking a lot lately about perfection mm-hmm. and how perfection can stand in your way. Oh, yeah. You know? <laughs> and the reason why I bring this up now is because when I think of working on a project for Disney, I think about perfection. Uh, so when I would manage multi-million dollar projects in the tech world and we would roll out large size projects, it, it, there was never the expectation that things had to be perfect because we would iterate. Mm-hmm. There'd be a phase Evolve. one, a phase mm-hmm. two. Yeah. And so we could figure out the bugs as people used our software or whatever, and then we could move towards perfection, but we never there was just never this expectation that we always had to be perfect. Mm-hmm. And I just think about Disney. Was that part of your projects? And if so, you know, how do you get all those moving parks together and, and achieve perfection while working for a company like Disney? That's a very good question. Um, you know, I, 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 it's, it's a cliche statement, but it was, it's really everything about it's so magical because the way people, the company attracted such unique and talented individuals. And every single person was on board with the mission and was on board with doing the best. And I, I never looked at it as perfection, although no was never in my vocabulary and nobody's vocabulary. You know, someone comes up with an idea, you figured out how to do it. Mm-hmm. And it was fast. Mm-hmm. And it's funny you ask this question because that's how I was brought up in my early profession. And so I'm always having now in my new role in a nonprofit, I've had to take um, a, a really close inventory on my expectations. Um, and I've had to really throughout my career, um, but really more so now because for my entire career in design, there's a fine line between perfection and doing your best. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't consider myself a perfectionist, but, um, the way to execute something close to perfection is really communication and planning and really doing, you know, following a process, following a process to make sure that, um, every, every 
check boxes, you know, every box is checked. And then, like you said, it's a, it's a progression. And so if you don't catch it the first time, you know, then you carry it over to your next, you know, opportunity and you make sure it gets addressed then. Um, and it's really, it's, it's a very collaborative effort. So when it's a collaborative effort, it's perfection really can't be part of the, the fabric, you right. know, it's, it's delivering on the expectations is how I like to look at it. Um, but really a therapist once said to someone very close to me is that perfection is disastrous, you know, and perfection is evil because people, um, strive for perfection and it gets in their way of doing their best. Yeah. And I see that, you know, I see people beat themselves up. And in design, you know, you're never done. Right. Design is never done. Like you you can you can keep designing, but at some point you do have to put your pencil down. You have to determine when you have the best idea and execute on it because it can't it can't just keep going. Right. There has to be an end. Right? <laughs> there has to be an so, end. Yeah. So what I'm getting from this, even at Disney where we perceive things to be so detailed. And perfect. And they it's are not. detailed. They are detailed, but it's still, you it's know. It's superhumans. Right. You're still making changes. Mm-hmm. And you're still, and I know we're using this as an example, but Disney is also known to kind of ri- have risk. You know, they're mm-hmm. they're pushing new ideas and concepts all the time. Innovation. Right. Right. With, you can't have innovation without risk. Yeah. And, that, and Disney was, you know, um, they were wonderful at that. Um, pushing new ideas and everybody that worked there strove, you know, strived for that. They, mm-hmm. they really strived for the best outcome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah. we, we tried to stay away from, you know, really saying perfection because you can have a well executed idea if it's done, if you're, if it's done right, you know, it's, and it's, and really when it comes to design or comes to an experience or an expectation, People see it differently. So perfection to one person may not be perfection to another. Right. Yeah. I like this. And I appreciate you going down this little <laughs> this, this little rabbit hole with me about perfection. Um, for you, so you worked for Disney for a while. I did. And then how did you end up in Las Vegas? So I ended up in Las Vegas. Um, actually, my... My I got married in, when I was in Florida, and my husband took a job in Denver. And so we were going to move to Denver, but um, as soon as um, he resigned and I resigned, I got a phone call to um, come help a firm, a design firm out here and in maintaining a project that they got with Disney that they were about to lose. And so I came, I started consulting and within two weeks I was permanent. And um, at that point, this company was acquired by a, a, co- a friend and colleague of mine at Disney. And the two of us um, just worked side by side for 17 years and uh, built a international hospitality design firm. And um we did projects all over the world. Yeah. And, you know, it, and so although I lived here for 19 years, I, I was traveling. So, mm-hmm. so people that I knew here, I wasn't as rooted in our community because our clients and our investments were elsewhere. Mm-hmm. And so, um, it was a more worldly experience requiring a lot of travel and the highest, the highest end, um, projects. Yeah. So luxury, you know, Several hotels and resorts for Four Seasons, Mandarin Oriental, 
so the cream of the crop. And then I decided to make a change. I I felt like it was, I know, I felt like something was missing. I mean, you know, when you're doing such exceptional work and have such exceptional clients, it's, it's so rewarding. And um, relationship building was a strength of mine that, and, and not only that, but more importantly, it's relationships meant a lot to me. So every relationship I've made professionally and personally along the way have been so important that, um, I wanted to maintain, um, you know, those relationships, but I wanted to try something new. And so I, I started, um, uh, working at a construction company because I liked the idea of female in a, in a construction world as a leader. And I led um, the new business development and um, some of the marketing and PR for a short time before this opportunity to be CEO of Girl Scouts of Southern Nevada came up. And they, the job opening came to me via email uh, through my sister. And um, she said, you should do this. Mom would be so proud. And I was like, what? Like, <laughs> that's a totally, like, hold absolutely. on. This is a yeah. complete shift. I mean, it takes me a while. I have to warm up to certain things. I'm not a quick, I don't, I don't change gears quickly. Mm-hmm. I, I'm, I, I analyze everything. I'm, I'm more of an analytical thinker, creatively and analytically. Um, but I, I had to look at it and I was like, oh, this, as I started looking into it, it just made sense because I love mentoring young professionals. Um, I love being a mother, um, love, love, love being a mother and, you know, sharing in the excitement of my kids and my children's friends um, and their their successes. And then when they have challenges, helping them work through their challenges. And I thought, this is an opportunity to lead a team of individuals with a really strong mission. And it's a great brand. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's so – I mean – Having grown up in my professional life at Disney, brand-centric, brand and business was very important to me and making those decisions that relationships could continue to thrive and making a difference. Mm-hmm. So most importantly, it was making a difference. And so when I started to look into this I this opportunity, I thought, okay, um, female, you know, young girls having their own safe space and learning the you know, how to be courageous, building their character and building their confidence is so essential. I mean, I had that when I was young. I, I, you know, there was more, there's always more to learn, but I want every girl to have that opportunity that I had and that other girls have. And so I thought this was a perfect platform to make a difference mm-hmm. is to really, to be that champion for young girls to have an opportunity to meet new friends, to try new things, to be in a safe space, um, not be embarrassed and try, just try things that they've never tried before and let them, you know, let them fall down and pick themselves back up and, and really support one another. Because, I mean, I think we're getting better, but we have a long way to go for women to support women. I think it's really important. And I think you learn at a young age. And so that's why our mission is so important is, you know, to really instill these qualities in these young girls from kindergarten all the way through high school, because that'll carry on with them into their professional life or, or you know, their family life, whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. What year was the uh, Girl Scouts of America established? It was 1912. Okay. And so I'm assuming there's, and jump in and correct me mm-hmm. if, if I'm, if I'm wrong, there's, there's, 
the Girl Scouts of America. So you have a national organization, mm-hmm. which is great. So you have the support. Of, of that type mm-hmm. of an org. And then there's chapters. There's chapters. There's a, a, mm-hmm. 111 chapters. Okay. Well, it's councils. So there's 111 councils. Um, so on that note, another thing I've never experienced in my career, which has been um, so wonderful, is this first year in this role. There's no organization that I know of that has 111 female, and there's a few male, um, leaders that come together that that can co- truly collaborate without threat because we all have our own markets and we're all sharing ideas and being truly collaborative on solving problems and solving real world issues and how to reach more girls and we're doing it together mm-hmm. I, I don't know we come together three or four times a year and mm-hmm. it's just fascinating because we're all we all are have the same mission mm-hmm. and the same goals and to be able to come together and share i don't know another organization that has that many leaders doing the same thing right let's talk about that threat that you mentioned because mm-hmm. uh, i think it's important to highlight what you mean by that um so working in the construction industry was that threat prevalent in that world when you mean, remind me of what? Well, threat. let's talk about threat. What's your What's your definition of threat? What do you mean when you say that? So, you know, I, I, um, I'm a I'm quietly confident. I'm I'm a I'm a quiet contributor, um, but I have sensed multiple occasions where m- some of my strengths become threats to others mm-hmm. because they don't necessarily work the same way or have the same ability to to either develop that relationship or have that perspective and I've seen that I've seen that um, create a rub or create an issue and so um, that's happened a few times in, in my past and um, and it prevents me from truly um, it has prevented me from truly going to that next level. Right. And I bring this up because, um, I, one of my brands is a women's retreat, Mm -hmm. spark women's retreat. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, our mission is to kind of to carry on really what you're starting to do with girls at such a young age, Mm -hmm. you know, the, we're seeing confidence challenges and, and, um, being really able to sit in your own authenticity, extending into adulthood, Mm -hmm. you know, and, we talk a lot about threat in our in our women's circles, and so that's why I'm curious to hear from you too. You know, you've worked in in those adult circles or male dominated industries, mm-hmm. and um, there is a lot of talk about, especially with women, that threat that we have for each other. Mm-hmm. You know, and I just wonder where that comes from. I don't know. So I can share a story. I had a um, performance review when I was at Disney. I think I was in my fifth year or fourth year, mm-hmm. fourth year maybe. Mid twenties, and I, um, I had been learning, been working hard, and I was gaining more confidence. I was gaining more confidence. Then I had a review with my boss, male boss, and my marks were really terrible. I mean, just because I didn't know why. I was thinking, "Wow!" And it was a it, and it drew the attention of his boss and the executives. And so they pulled me into the office and they said, we under- we've we seen your review and we think it's unfair. And I was like, well, okay, like 
what do you mean? And they said, well, tell us how it's, you know, how things are going. And I said, well, I'm feeling more, I'm confident. I'm able to do things on my own. And so that's where it's shifted for me is mm-hmm. that when someone is responsible for someone or has people that report to them, and I've seen this multiple times, and they have a sense of control over an individual, and then that individual gets more confidence to be able to do things on their own and make decisions on their own. It becomes a threat to the person who's their their superior or their manager. Right. And right. that's what happened to me. And at that point and through my career, that's where – and I know you're going to ask me this later about leadership, but that's where I realized empowerment is so critical to leadership. And I'd rather have – all leaders in my group than not, because there's a point of view there. And if you don't have a point of view, it's difficult to work together. And so I want employees and staff and people in my life to be empowered to make a decision or come together and collaborate or be um, feel comfortable to say, I don't know. Because there's a lot I don't know, and I make sure everybody around me knows that, look, I don't have all the answers, mm-hmm. and and I don't expect everybody to have all the answers, but here's some people to reach out to, you know, where I may lose my patience if those individuals don't reach out to the people that I've suggested, you know, getting information from, because really, that's gathering information to do your job, and so, you know, back to that threat piece, I was becoming confident, and it it backfired on me. Um, we worked through it and everything was fine and, um, you know, and my boss got a talking to and and we talked it out and he realized it was like I was his protege and all of a sudden he felt like he was losing control of me and um, he had ownership in my development. Mm-hmm. And I reminded him, oh, absolutely, I look to you as you were instrumental in my development and my learning. You've invested a lot of time in teaching me, and I appreciate that. And that's all the conversation that needed to be had. Yeah, just open up those mm-hmm. lines of communication. Mm-hmm. Communication is key. Which, I mean, my next question to you was going to be, what advice would you give to that boss of yours? And, of course, we're just speaking about this one example. <laughs> but, you know, what if you're in that situation where you're mentoring someone or you're with a colleague and you start to feel insecure or... Um, we talk a lot about imposter syndrome or those types of situations. What's, what's your advice to somebody on that's feeling that way to work through that with mm-hmm. someone else? Communication is one, right? Right, communication. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so my advice to someone who's feeling um, like they're like they're not being treated fairly, right, yeah. or the, or yeah. they're being threatened, right? Yeah. Um, well, communication. Yeah. N- number one. Um, and, you know, and that's, that's an interesting question because, you know, I know how I would handle a situation, but not everybody has the experience or the wherewithal to, or the personality to deal with those situations. Um, but really the communication is, is really key. And then having an opportunity or um, a mechanism in place for someone, if they can't go talk to their superior, mm-hmm. you know, who can they talk to? I mean, I think that's really important because I realize, especially after, you know, so many years in the workplace, that not every person's chemistry mixes and not everybody sees things the same way. Or not everyone has the emotional intelligence, frankly. I mean, they just don't. Yeah. And um, and some people can't get there. And so that's when you have to sort of, you know, make some shifts and um, 
and really ask people, what is it that you want? What do you need? And try to work through it. Mm -hmm. So as a leader, a lot of what I'm doing is mentoring and coaching, which Mm -hmm. are two different things. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and it's not just, it's not a one way, you know, it's, it's bringing, you know, talking to both or three or who all is involved and really just, you know, bringing them together. It's one of the biggest challenges too. You know, it's one of the biggest challenges. Um, I have had someone come to me, um, you know, who, who, who feels they should have more, but isn't having that opportunity to, to do more or feels they don't have the opportunity. And I had a real candid conversation. And, you know, as soon as this person said, I'm afraid to make a mistake, I was like, Oh, Oh, did you hear yourself? Say it again. Mm-hmm. I'm afraid to make a mistake. I go Google that <laughs> because being afraid can be your downfall. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's okay to be afraid, but knowing how to, how to handle that, you know, I'm just like, okay to make a mistake. If you don't make mistakes, you will always have a fear of making a mistake. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's important for young professionals, especially to have that environment that they can make a mistake and learn from it and not be chastised for it or, or, you know, punished for it mm-hmm. because we're human and, like, I mean, I've made many mistakes. I mean, I, I, you know, there's also you make a decision and you move on and it's not always the right decision. And sharing that with other people, sh- you know, demonstrates to others that it's okay to make a mistake. Yeah. And you know? that's where you learn. That's how you grow. Uh, accountability yeah. and, and um, you know, and just, you know, not making a mistake and let someone else clean it up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, You know, it's it's really... How do I get there to make it right? Yeah. Yeah. When you talk about mistakes, it's not, you know what, I'm just going to mess up because Mm -hmm. I'm going to sabotage or I have a bad attitude Mm -hmm. or something like that. It's Mm -hmm. you're doing your best. You're trying, you know, you're, you're trying everything you can within your realm of understanding Mm -hmm. and it just didn't work out. So you learn from it. Right. Yeah. Right. So what was it like to move from (laughs) a for-profit design environment like we're talking about yeah to nonprofit with um really a whole different mission right 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 a whole different mission um well it it i love it absolutely love it um i i thought i worked hard my 30-year career (laughs) working just as hard um and i mean not only did i shift I shifted careers and I sh- totally new organization. So mm-hmm. I've this first year I've been learning everything new. Um, but it's rewarding and I see it. I'm making a difference. I have an incredible team. Um, you know, I have, I have a high functioning team, very confident team. I have, you know, a few, um, newer, uh, professionals that are, you know, have, big dreams, but little experience. So that is time consuming, but that's, you know, that's part of being a leader is helping them get there. Um, and because we all really believe in the mission, uh, we're working wonderfully together, but Mm -hmm. I had, I really had no idea going into it, how complicated the organization is. I mean, I'm, I'm familiar with nonprofits, 
I've sat on a board. I've, you know, my daughter and I were part uh, members of the National Charity League, which was a mother-daughter organization. So uh, we volunteered multiple hours a year in different organizations. And I love that. She loved it. It really opened our eyes to our community and the organizations that needed help and needed volunteers. Um, and so with this, this with Girl Scouts, it's like a corporation with business, different business units. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's not, we have a mission, but we have volunteer management, we have membership, we have recruitment program, um, we have programs, we have, uh, retail sales, we've got finance, marketing, social media, training you name it, product sales, if I didn't mention that. And it's every day there's something going on. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, when when it comes to working for the Girl Scouts of America, mm-hmm. does the the national organization have guidelines and those they types do. of things that, you, mm-hmm. that help mm-hmm. that you can plug into? Yes. And so their resources are plenty. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, there's – there's a lot of there, – there's multiple layers of resources. I don't think there's enough time to get through it all, but they they do provide resources, which is very helpful. Um, but there is – there has been an initiative in the last five years to get councils aligned with a national standard. Mm-hmm. So um, each council has a charter, and our charters renew or evaluated on um, certain um, strategies and certain criteria – to get our next charter. So we have a three-year charter currently. They monitor um, they monitor membership, they monitor sales, they monitor your budget. And, and I mean, we're really self-sufficient here. They don't really have any management control over us, but they do provide like shared services. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we use Salesforce. We're all, all on the Salesforce platform, which records all of our cases and all of our calls. And we use that as our as our marketing and sales management tool. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you're tracking leads. Yep. We're tracking leads. Data-driven. Right, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All new for me Yeah. <laughs> from the design world. Yeah. That's all. Yeah. The data-driven information, uh-huh. aside from finance, because that that was part of my world. But the yeah. the membership numbers and the um, demographics and of the area and how we have to strategically target and see because really the targeting is we we have so many you so many children that could be benefiting from multiple programs in our community, and I think that I mean our council's serving four percent of the girls, and there's such there's so much more opportunities to give our more girls the opportunity for this programming. And the programming is wonderful. Financial mm-hmm. literacy, leadership skills, advocacy, STEAM-related um, badge work and journeys, which have cybersecurity, robotics, coding. Um, it's really it's really evolved in the last 10 years. You know, I, I know people have said in the past it was cookies and crafts, but it is so much more sophisticated and and um, and and offers something for all girls. You mm-hmm. know, if they aren't into STEAM, then there's other things. There's outdoor adventure. There's there's just multiple opportunities to build that courage, character, and confidence. Yeah, it sounds like it's changed since I was a brownie. Mm-hmm. Um, because I remember I'm a total tomboy. Uh, and so we have a lot of tomboys. Yeah, so it came to a point for me where I really just lost interest in the organization mm-hmm. because 
you know, there wasn't, I didn't feel like there was something that I was in, interested in doing. Mm-hmm. Um, but it sounds like that that's changed and evolved and, and there's plenty of, of options available for girls. There are. Yeah. There are. Now, as a local chapter, do you have a bit of flexibility to bend to whatever the needs of the community might be? We have a little, yeah, we absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yes. We have, um, we have flexibility to bend. I mean, there are some criteria that we want to follow to provide that troop experience, you know, that true Girl Scout experience, because part of the mission is to have girls engage with other girls. You know, there is a, there is a program where girls, you know, if their schedule doesn't permit, they can be independent, which is called a Juliet, but really a true troop experience where they're learning how to collaborate, how to get along with different types of, you know, individuals, um, personalities is to have that troop. You know, a troop isn't three or four girls. It's, it's five to eight girls. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we have some criteria that we want to stay true to that national um, GSUSA suggests um, minimum requirements. And but we do our markets are all very different, so mm-hmm. we respond accordingly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The data we were just talking about. Mm-hmm. The I'm data. Sure you mm-hmm. that. Tell me about fundraising with the Girl Scouts. Uh, we all know about Girl Scout cookies. In fact, you brought me some Thin Mints, which I'm totally excited about. Yes. Uh, what other ways do you raise money in the community? So um, other ways that we raise money. So we have a big gala um, dessert before dinner every mm-hmm. year. It's September 14th this year. That has been, um, we're, we'll be in our 11th year. It's been a success year over year. And Last year, we really talked about our mission and the opportunities that Girl Scouts provides for girls that really want to have that experience, but perhaps come from a um, a school that is underserved and or from families or communities that are underserved. So we have scholarship opportunities for girls to participate in Girl Scouts and our programming. So at our gala, we fundraise for scholarship money for girls to be part of Girl Scouts. We um, raise money for program special programs that we create, and we just created a new program with the Harbor, and um, where the Harbor is an organization that counselors from schools will recommend to parents to send their children there for some counseling before they get into too much trouble. Mm-hmm. Um, like their next step is perhaps, you know, behind bars. And so this is an opportunity. They're required to take so many classes. And we just started a program at the Harbor and we have 20 very engaged girls and we have another session coming up. We have phone calls coming into our council from parents saying, I want my kid in there. I want them to be involved. And the things that we're doing with them is we had them design, come up with their own name and it's Leah leaderships and leaders in action. Mm -hmm. And then they design their own shirt and what they wanted to say on the back. And then they do a few field trips and then we have some speakers um, we also have a financial literacy piece that we we teach them, and we talk about ways to engage and be intentional and to overcome challenges and obstacles and how to be a, a good steward of our community, and they've all been en- engaged. Yeah. You know, I think some children get into trouble in school because they're bored or, you know, their interests are different, mm-hmm. and it's it's interesting you know, how these programs are really bringing out the positives in a lot of these girls and turning 
you know, turning things around at home. We've had parents call and email us saying, my daughter has only gone to three sessions and she's already acting better at home. So those are, you know, those are some community opportunities that Girl Scouts can provide for different organizations. And so our fundraising supported that. Our fundraising also supported staff-led troops in um, Title I schools. So we have like, we have a couple troops that are more than 20 girls that are led by our staff as well as teachers. And those girls like would rather come to our events and go to school. So we're trying to work on, you know, shifting that because those yeah. those leaders say, look, if, if you want to volunteer at 7 a.m. on Saturday morning, I want you to be as enthusiastic about coming to school at 7 a.m. as you are going to Girl Scouts at 7 a.m. on Saturday. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's a it's an interesting um it's an interesting story because um, they are engaged and that's making a difference. So it's a little at a time, mm-hmm. but the fundraising really funds those opportunities for the girls. Yeah. And then outside of our dessert before dinner, we participate in Nevada Gives, Giving Tuesday, um, and we have cookies and kegs for a different crowd of um, givers, you know, people who like to come together and you know, enjoy some cookies and some beer. And I and did not know this. Yes, That's yeah. Pretty cool. So we we brought that back, and um, we have a you know different the people who don't go to cookie um, dessert before dinner will come to that. So mm-hmm. it's about offering opportunities for different people mm-hmm. that want to give back. And then we are working with corporations with um, volunteering. So um, we have a couple corporations here that want to have their their employees actually have identified Girl Scouts as an organization they want to volunteer with. So we're preparing opportunities for them and engaging them with mm-hmm. some of our programs. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Very nice. I learned a bunch of things I did not know. That's mm-hmm. very incredible. Now, let's talk a little bit about gender mm-hmm. because we have the Boy Scouts of America, we have the Girl Scouts of America. And, you know, as time moves on, we there's more talk about a gender spectrum Mm -hmm. and maybe there might be a boy who'd like to be involved in Girl Scouts and so on. So let's start with just the Girl Scouts in general. What do you think are the benefits of still having a girl specific program um, for young, for young Mm -hmm. girls to attend? Mm -hmm. Well, there's a lot of information out there and statistics um, about, girls' participation in an all-girl environment versus their participation in a co-ed environment. And, I mean, it's you, I mean it's there. And girls are more apt to partake in activities and explore new things when they're with girls. When they're with boys, not so much. And so there's a drop-off of girls that – girls are, like, interested in math and science up until – sixth grade. And then there's a drop around seventh grade when the boys start to take front and center on math and science. And so there's this perception and girls will, you know, take a step back and not be as involved. Um, And so those are the, those are the components that we see. We use those statistics and, um, and provide those safe environments. And I mean, safe is, you know, I guess some people think safe, what does that mean? Like it's, dangerous elsewhere. No, it's just an environment that pe- that that girls can can try new things and not be embarrassed. You know, not be embarrassed and be supported by others and by other girls. And you know, when girls cheer girls on, I mean, it's like magical. 
You know, and so there's no competition of like which guy or which boy is watching because they like so and so, and there's no taking sides, and and that's that's just really important. So mm-hmm. I know boys, I know Boy Scouts is taking girls, um, you know, but I do believe that for children, it's there's no all girl environments and. There's no all-boy environments here in Las Vegas. So I like the idea of having boys have their boys and girls have their girls and being able to do things, you know, in their specific group. Mm-hmm. And because the rest of life, we're all together. And we teach diversity inclusion, but that doesn't mean, like, we're – it's not about excluding. I mean, if there's um, – like, for Girl Scouts, if anybody who identifies as a girl – can be in Girl Scouts. You know, I think the restrictions are a little bit more perhaps in Boy Scouts. Uh, I think they're trying to change things. And I think that's good because really diversity inclusion, we're, we're, we're taking the next step into our future. Mm-hmm. And there should be opportunity for all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I um, have lots of similar conversations because as I mentioned before, we have a women's retreat. And the reason why I do that is because there's a need for it. There mm-hmm. continues to be a need for it. Women want to be together. They want to experience things together. And much of what you describe is what happens in our environment. Women can try new things and not feel, um, you know, not They're feel taken like, wrong, you know? right, or judged or um, or hold back because there are other people around. And I think there's a lot to be said for that. If women are still feeling that way around men and this isn't it's meant to be you know male bashing or anything like that but it's it's there it's definitely prevalent mm-hmm. uh, same with with men i think men enjoy going out and spending to get time together also yes. mm-hmm. you know you have boys trips or the boy scouts or anything like that so there certainly is a need and i see a lot of plus sides and it'll just be interesting to see what happens you know as time moves on it will be it will be and yeah. and i think it just makes, like you said, if if men have their time together and women have their time together, when you come together as men and women, it's so much, it's stronger, it's more enriching, mm-hmm. because there's things to share. Um, you know, I just had this one, one, we spent one night in April and one night in May up at our new property in Alamo. It was a gift we received in uh, December. And it's a bed and breakfast with 70 acres of land that needs to be developed and we're hoping to raise money to develop it into a camp. But I took female CEOs of nonprofits up for two different trips and we had a sleepover Mm -hmm. and the information we shared was just priceless. You know, it was about, we all agree that in our community we can do more together, truly more together to reach more people in need and to make a bigger difference rather than doing it all independently. And so those are the focus that was the focus of the conversations was what were each of our organizations needs and also how do we support one another. Mm-hmm. And that was beautiful because sometimes especially when you're at the top, you're alone and when you know that there's someone else in our community also in that same type of position, you can reach out to them and feel like you're supported. Yeah, so important. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very, very important. That's uh, something that is very prevalent with our women's retreats also. Mm-hmm. We have yeah. to support each other. And that goes for anybody. We, we want to be supportive of each other. Absolutely. And that threat we spoke about earlier, 
it's time to squash that. Oh yeah. You know? Oh yeah. I mean, competition is good, mm-hmm. but feeling threatened, you know, open up, opening right. up those lines of communication are so important. Right. Supporting each other. Right. Yeah. 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 So I'm curious to know what your definition of leadership is. Well, um, so leadership, so I, my style is more servant leader and that is focusing on development of others. You know, like I mentioned earlier, it's important to me to make a difference, but more importantly, it's about leading others to their success and and connecting with the community. That that's just important to me. It's not, you know, I'm it's not about my ego, it's not about me being successful on my own because there's nobody can be successful by themselves. They really it is really a team together. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can create your own goals and achieve them and achieve success for yourself, but I really believe that it's a collective group. And so leadership is really having that vision and and working with the team to make it real. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, what does a typical day look like for you? <laughs> oh, my assistant would just laugh at this. Um, yeah. So... <laughs> I have more emails than I can possibly imagine. Okay. But a typical day, um, it's a lot of meetings. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So um, I'm starting my second year. I'm going to make some changes. <laughs> to, the, to the emails and to the meetings. <laughs> to the emails and to the meetings. Yes, yeah. to the emails and the meetings. <laughs> and I think I'm going to get um, a, um, what do you call them, the treadmill and a, <laughs> and a rowing machine for the office. <laughs> uh, there you go. Because it's just, it's just, it's a lot, you know, in between. And so we have a lot of events and it's a lot of handshaking. But um, my typical day is strategy. I mean, we're focusing on strategy, focusing on delivering quality programs, um, a lot of collaboration. I spend a lot of time with my leadership team and we go through all of the hot topics and what's coming up and and aligning our calendars. Um, How do we, we talk um, and strategize on how we can support our volunteers, um, how we can simplify the process and the trainings um, and engage more people in our community, and how do we be strategic with our sponsorships and our partnerships. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What What drives you to keep moving forward every day? You have how many people are working? I have 34. So you have 34 people, mm-hmm. plus you have volunteers. Yep, 6,000 right? members. Mm-hmm. Plus you have this whole other layer of girls who are attending courses and being involved, right? Right. With all of that going on, what what drives you, what motivates you to get up every day and keep those wheels turning? Well, um, I know people are dependent on me mm-hmm. and um, I have to show up every day um, and I want to. Mm-hmm. Also, I want everything I do to be intentional. Um, and really what drives me is making a difference. I mean, really making a difference and solving problems. I mean, you know, it's every – and when I say problems, it's not – that's not a negative thing. It's like solving challenges. Like how do we do things differently? How do we do things better? How do we reach more girls? And so those are the things that really drive me because – there's no, it's not, if it was an easy answer, we would have done it by now, but I'm motivated to, to find out how do we do that and, and, and shifting gears if it's not working and then trying something else. It's, you know, really perseverance and, um, being bold and, 
and courageous. And I'm there's not been a day that I've not wanted to go to work. So mm-hmm. I mean, I'm I'm thrilled. Plus, I have an engaging team. You know, it's important to have a staff that's engaged. And once you don't, then something needs to change. And um, I'm very aware of that. And part of that is providing the training and the opportunities for the staff to engage and to learn and to develop. Because, again, I've had a fabulous career and a lot of people that are working with me are younger than me and they have their future. And I would not be doing my job if I wasn't encouraging them to grow and to build upon their dreams and their goals, because that's, you know, that is our future, you know, what, no matter what age. Um, and I've had a, a hugely successful career and very proud of it. And I just want to give back and lead a team with positivity and um, effectiveness and empathy and care. Okay. Mm-hmm. How do you stay organized? <laughs> and this is probably, are you laughing because you're assistant again? <laughs> well, yes, but I'm, or do you stay I am not a, I am not the most organized individual. I mean, I think some people would say, oh my gosh, Kimberly, you are super organized. <laughs> um, there are things I'm organized. I mean, my, I'm inherently creative. I mean, my background is design. And so my, and the way I've been since I was a child, it's, it's, when that creative side of my brain kicks in, it's it's in many places. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wouldn't change it for the world because that's where some of my best ideas come, is when I've opened my mind up and I let things a little, you know, I let things be a little more loose. So in terms of keeping organized, I mean, I it, it really is living by my calendar and then having an agenda you know, I, and having effective meetings, but there's, there is so much to talk about and, and we have a team of collaborators. So mm-hmm. I, we're, the meetings seem to be very engaging. I'd love for them to be a little shorter, but you know, there's so much to talk about. So I think we're, I mean, just having agendas and keeping on my, on my calendar, you know, schedule and just keeping it together. I'm, that's how I'm, Staying organized. Okay. So you, if you're on your phone and there's one app you have that, that you're using, it's your calendar? And it's my calendar. Yeah. 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 Any other apps? Yeah. You don't want to know. <laughs> you don't, my team, I make my team very nervous when they see how many emails I have and text messages. Yeah, I don't even want to look. And phone yeah. <laughs> messages. They're like, how can you function? And I'm like, I clear them out every so often. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Just letting my creativity shine. This is, this is how I process things. Yep, yep. All right, so I'm curious to know, what is your advice for anyone who has worked you know, in one career? You you had a successful career working in hospitality and design, mm-hmm. traveled the world, mm-hmm. and you really wanted to make this switch into something different, something new. And um, a- advice for somebody who is looking to do something like that, to make a change regardless of where they are in their life. Mm-hmm. Um, how do they go about doing that? So um, I, you know, my advice would be don't wait. Really do not wait too long. Um, I mean, I am loyal to a fault. Um, loyalty is important. I've, I'm loyal and I stayed for a very long time because I looked at my team as my my children 
and my family. And I put my needs on the back burner. So speaking from my own experience, if someone feels like there's more growth and and they're looking for something different and they're not getting it where they are, then be bold, you know, um, engage your um, personal board of directors. And what I mean by that is your most, you know, closest friends, family, um, and put a plan together to get there. And don't be, don't, don't think about it too much. I mean, put your plan together, move on it. If it doesn't work, shift. You know, it's about that. It's about not wasting time. I mean, time is a very valuable, it's time is valuable and we don't get more of it. Mm. We do not get more of it. It, it, we get busier and busier and busier the older we get. And the more that we do, because it's the smarter we get and the more experienced we become, we're doing more and we can make a bigger difference. So we keep doing more. So just put a plan together, set those goals and go for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Don't wait. Excellent advice. Yeah. And and when you're young, I mean, I told like people that I interviewed and, and young professionals that worked with us, you know, learn everything you possibly can. If you if you have a, a job and you have a set of responsibilities, make sure you're meeting those. And then invest your own time and doing more for others to learn. Because you have if you're gonna set goals to achieve more and have more responsibility, you've got to take the initiative to learn on your own to do that. And reach out, you're gonna find people who want to mentor, who want to give you those opportunities. So go for it. And commit your time to that. Because I, I always said to people, you work hard in your 20s, you assimilate in your 30s, you balance in your 40s, and then in your 50s, you're giving back. And working hard again. And right? working hard again, yes. <laughs> right. But yes, giving back. Very nice. Kimberly, thanks so much for coming in today. Yeah, thank you. It's been a pleasure. Oh, thank you very much for having me. This has been great. It was such a pleasure learning Kimberly's perspective today. To learn more about the programming that the Girl Scouts of Southern Nevada provides, visit girlscoutsnv.org. If you have not done so yet, one small action that makes a huge difference for our show is to leave us a review wherever you listen to our podcast. This helps people find us. If you or someone you know is interested in joining us for the third annual Classic Spark Women's Retreat this September 26th, through the 29th, 2019, head on over to sparkwomensretreat.com for more information about all-inclusive packages. I'm your host, Cree Edholm. Thanks as always for tuning in, and I'll see you on the next episode.